to celebrate Queen Elizabeth II's 60th anniversary of her coronation, Prince Charles called for the creation of wildflower meadows across the UK, a project that came to be known as the Coronation Meadows. Inspired by the project, renowned British photographer Hugo Ritson-Thomas decided that he would try to capture these meadows and to show them in his new book, Wildflowers for the Queen. Hugo says the project's aim was to, quote, celebrate the rich botanical heritage of the wildflowers in unique meadows of England and to elevate them not only as to the stars of the show, but also as valuable and irreplaceable forms of life on our green planet. I was able to speak with Hugo from his home in London to talk about this beautiful book and the impact that wildflowers have on all of us. My name is Stefan Van Norden, and this is Nature Revisited. So let me start by saying welcome, Hugo, to Nature Revisited. I would like to say right off the start that your book, Wildflowers for the Queen, is a beautiful book. I'm excited to be talking with you about this project. So let's start by giving my listeners, who might not know who you are, a bit of a background to your career, your profession, and your current position. Yes, no, absolutely. Well, I'm a professional photographer. Originally, I suppose, worked in most areas that a photographer can, so initially portraits, which would include, I think, anyone's favorite subject, which was a, a great honor, the, the Queen and, and Prince William. I've also managed to you know, venture out into, into country and garden uh, photography, and most recently with this wildflowers for the Queen. My background was actually originally in film and television, working with uh, the great Nicholas Rogue. That, that was a lot of fun, but uh, I really figured I, I didn't want to waste all that time trying to get the money to get the films made. So I went back to school, went to St. Martin's School in London. So I've been behind the camera really most of my life. So how did the Wildflowers for the Queen, how did that get started and what brought you to the project? I was asked for a charity event at the uh, Chelsea Physic Gardens, one of the oldest physic gardens in the world, given by this charity Plant Life. And actually, my friend is the president of it, asked me along. And by the end of it, I had one of those moments of epiphany, and I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. I just felt, you know, I must be able to do something to help nature in her fight back. And essentially what they were saying there was how much we destroyed these wildflower meadows, the ones they cover in the book. I just felt a lump in my throat. And I see was sown at that point at that dinner. It took four years and four other garden books to germinate into a successful plan of action, which this book is, you know, is the outcome. Prince Charles wrote the introduction 
What was his involvement with the book? The charity I worked with, Plant Life, he is patron of it. And it was his vision to dedicate something within nature, within the UK, to his mother. And his vision for these coronation meadows was to reintroduce initially just one in each of the counties of the UK to get them back on the map, fully appreciated, to earn more respect, and ultimately to get the law changed so they have greater protection. His commitment and passion to things in the environment are well documented, and I'm just impressed by what he's achieved. He wrote the foreword you know, very willingly for the book. He also allowed me to photograph at his home, Highgrove, which has a wildflower meadow, and indeed at Queen's. They, they really couldn't have lent any more support, to be honest. Who is the organization Plant Life, and how were they involved with wildflowers for the Queen? They, they are a, a national and international uh, charity designed to protect and conserve the wildflowers, plants, and indeed fungi. So they have quite a good educational program. They have National Meadows Day. You know, they are doing an awful lot to, to raise awareness and support for the wildflowers, the meadows, and therefore for this you know, big biodiversity game. As I say, from that dinner, it took a while for me to finally work out, why don't I turn my lens on the flowers? So I had a conversation with Philip Mould, who's the president, and said, you know, do you think this would, would work? To bring it to people's attention more, to give it a focal point, and to get more eyes on it making what we, what, what we turned in that meeting the invisible visible, because some of these flowers, like sweet eye, are tiny. They're half the size of the smallest nail on your finger, and they are gorgeous. Give us a sense, particularly for my listeners in the United States, the importance of these meadows in the English culture. I think that's an important question, because, of course, they do have a very significant part in the national heritage. But in the UK, I think, you know, Shakespeare's writings of it and the Emerald Isles in painting as well, I think, someone like George Stubbs's painting in around 1780 uh, called The Haymakers, he showed what this communal life was like in nature. People weren't living in cities. You know, the Industrial Revolution hadn't really hit agriculture hard in this country then. So, you know, it always looks like this charming life. There's a life in nature, a different, perhaps more satisfying life in many ways. And then, of course, the meadows are much celebrated, in, you know, in literature. Shakespeare, I mentioned, with writers like Thomas Hardy with his Test of the D'Urbervilles, which was around the time of 1890. It describes this bucolic harmony uh, of life and nature, humans living a harmonious life alongside nature, much more so than now. So these meadows were created quite a while ago. Why do they need to be preserved? The reasons why they're important is why they need to be preserved. As I say, the meadows are the UK's most species-rich habitat. It's 800 plants, 1,400 pollinators, just a busy, live world. We've lost in the UK... 7.5 million acres since the 1930s. 
So I think what's exciting is, is the charity Plant Life have, have committed to an extra 120,000 hectares. You have to compare that to uh, the government's commitment to forestry, which is 12%. So it's a tiny amount of this old pastoral system that's you know that's left. But to put it into context, and the UK is such a small country, land is at a premium, farmland is at a premium, and wildland wild meadows like this are super premium, our relationship is different, I think, to land because the United States is 40 times bigger than the UK, Australia 32 times bigger. So this means the population in England is over a 1,000 people per square mile, whereas I think America is roughly 19 per square mile, and Australia down to 7 people per square mile. So the pressure from people from expanding cities, from commercial use of land, farming, you know, is enormous. So I think this initiative started by Prince Charles and Plant Life Charities is, is vital. And from my own experience photographing the meadows, none of which I've seen before, you know, is a breathtaking experience. I think anyone who's managed to spend time in one of these meadows would be a convert. It's such a rich experience. You know, one example would be a meadow in Yorkshire, North England, called Mooka. Mooka is actually a Viking term, which means new meadow. <laughs> and this new meadow, put it the other way around, the Vikings conquered this area in 880 AD. So it is an ancient part of our, our natural heritage, being a new meadow roughly 1,200 years ago. One of the meadows down in the south of England, Marden Meadow, is about the last hay meadow in the UK. As a photographer, I was imagining it's going to be browns and golden browns, and my lucky, beautifully golden. But absolutely not. It had these green-winged orchids and buttercups everywhere. It looked more like an Impressionist painting. Another meadow, James Hill, was just a kaleidoscope of colour because this was on a scale, I think the only meadow in the country on this, this giant scale. So you just get an impression of, of how the land must have must have looked back then. Um, yeah, it's very, very impressive. You've touched on my next question, which is, since my our listeners can't see any of your photos in the book, can you describe some more uh, just how beautiful these meadows and wildflowers really are? Well, they, they, they really are. Speaking with Mooka Meadows, there's one of the 20 in the book. The first day I went there, it was what we call a typical English weather day. <laughs> it's grey, wet, hopeless from a photography point of view, and this is midsummer. But the weather forecast was right, and it cleared the next morning, and photographer, like a plant, lies entirely on the light. As the sun rose and started hitting the meadow, I just thought there is nowhere on earth closer to paradise. And if something awful to happen to me, can't think of a better place to, to, to pass on because it really grabs you by the soul. And this is a, a meadow nestled by the River Swale up in North Yorkshire, the one that the Vikings cleared 1,200 years ago. And it's a, it's a ribbon of 12 meadows carpeting this valley floor. You go through this little gate beyond the village of Muka, which is probably six buildings, and you enter a different world. So 
it's just an abundance of, of, of colour to look at. But the thing I really noticed when I was photographing it that morning is the sound. It's so alive with these pollinators. It just gets you. Uh, it's, it's, it's a real, it's really breathtaking. I really, really recommend it. You know, anyone over visiting the UK when things get back to normal, I think all of these are open to the public and the 15 Coronation Meadows are public access. So, you know, anybody can go and visit them and experience, you know, what I do. Can you share with us some of the challenges that you faced as a photographer? on this project? Well, they were greater than I thought, actually, because, as I mentioned, I've done four garden books now. And the thing about them is, you know, you know where the garden is. <laughs> Someone's designed it very carefully. Someone's nurtured it very carefully. You're able to communicate with them when is the right time to be there. And that's the big difference of an, an excitement of photographing Wildflowers of the Queen, these coronation meadows, 15 of the 20 anyway, are completely you know, wild areas. The special areas that often people have left to the country, now managed perhaps by the local county, uh, a nature area, and that's how they've managed to survive. You know, it's completely different. So I go to the plant life flagship, Ranscombe Farm, down in south of England in Kent, Garden of England, and I have a GPS to, to find you know, the new garden, the Garden of Eden garden. And there's a, there's a fence post there. That is it. I, I, just, I just spent hours looking and looking, looking. I could not find you know, the area I was meant to be photographing. This was day one with uh, you know, 20 days shooting all around the country over the next two months. I was despairing. And I did not more than I could manage. And just as the light was going down, I found the area where these lady orchids, that was the plant we were after. It's quite a rare orchid in this country. I was so relieved. And then, obviously, you're up at four o'clock the next morning to catch the light on it. And I was just so pleased. The camera was set up. The uh, composition looked good. Everything was perfect. Just waiting for sunlight to come up, and then I hear a crash, bang, wallop. I, I couldn't understand what was going on because it's pretty quiet at that time of the morning. And these deer had been startled, charged through the wood, and trampled, taken out completely the lady orchid. So, photographing nature has different challenges. I found out on <laughs> day one. Of course, I found another one. It's you know, one of my favorite flowers, I have to say very majestic, you know, really gorgeous. You'd think it belongs somewhere much more exotic than England's green and pleasant pasture. Another challenge, obviously, is the weather. As I said, it's a hot summer, whereas a garden would be watered some years or some places if they had uh, access. You know, nature, it's a different story. So a lot of these wildflowers had disappeared back into the, into the ground. You know, literally a week after I was told they were, they were looking at their best, so it's very challenging working the whole schedule. And particularly in Scotland, there's one meadow in Scotland, which is a lovely story, small farm, and suddenly it turned into his wildflower meadow. All the seeds were in the ground, came up naturally, they absolutely loved it, and you know, wouldn't dream of, of changing the way it is. 
Um, but of course, the problem with Scotland is you get even less sun, and that's really what, what brings the flowers to light for a photograph. So I was there for two days because of that issue. No sunlight. And the lady of, of the meadow was a very good photographer in her own right. So I thought, would you mind terribly doing a couple of shots in sunlight? And after a month, I haven't heard anything from her. I said, well, you haven't forgotten, have you? She said, no, no, the sun hasn't come out yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose there was one other interesting encounter, which in a, in a way encapsulates you know, the problems we've been talking about, man's disconnect with nature, the pressure on the land, especially in a very populated country like the UK, these, you know, courageous battles. And the example that comes to mind is Loughborough Big Meadow, which is one of the last types of meadow in the country, I think, of its kind. Above you are these giant pylons. They are enormous. So you have to shoot quite carefully. And then, unfortunately, the ranger of the meadow uh, got the dates wrong. I was completely exhausted by then. It was one of the last shoots. So I'd had all these very early starts, late finishes, driving near the night to the next one to try and catch the meadows before they died in this very hot summer. I'm out there again, Jesus, I don't believe it. The farmer has taken the crop early. He's already, he's already cut it down. And then I realized there were a few little flowers on the edges. It's this particular flower, the great burnet, which has an important place in, a, in, in our old history because it's used for staunching wounds in the back. It's a red flower, blood-looking, and medicinal properties were, were, were highly valued. Anyway, the whole field had been cropped apart from the edges. So I was lying down trying to make it look like there's a whole field of these things, getting around my focus and really trying to get it nailed. I feel the ground shaking. I couldn't think what the hell was going on. I mean, not in an earthquake zone in the UK. The farmer had come back to finish it off. His combine was about two foot from my tripod. <laughs> not expecting to find a photographer lying in his last remaining strip of the, the great burnet. So I very nearly end up being combined and recycled my, myself. Actually, some of the best shots because it, it was a silver lining in the form of it being a perfect day for a photographer. Some mist in the air, some, some moisture in the air. So there's a lot of dew and hanging mist. And it looks so romantic and dramatic. Any thoughts of exhaustion leave your mind the day unfolds, the sun rises through the mist, and into another beautiful day. One of the things I thought about when I saw when I was looking through your book is that I often get a sense that the photographer has taken a picture, and I don't know if they manipulate it or what, but the picture is just so perfect of nature that I actually feel disconnected to nature when I look at it. One of the things I felt about looking at your book was that your photographs made me feel like I was, I was there and I was a part of it. Is that a, something that you are consciously trying to do? I feel so, Stefan, because as I say, you know, no one really has seen these meadows. I love nature and I wasn't aware of these incredible gems we have spread all over the country each of them completely different with unique set of flowers and plants um, because of the conditions. 
changed so much, even in this tiny country. So to try and capture them as naturally as possible was one of the ideas, but also in their best light. The gloomy days on the Isle of Mull are not going to work. And, and I think to Graham age, you, you have to accept that people now have a certain way of seeing things very different from, you know, when I was growing up and used to look at National Geographic magazines as a kid. Now, anything taken on an iPhone, for instance, automatically blends several images and then there's software that changes all the shadows, highlights, colors. So you end up with this unrealistic image. Glamorous though it is, I think there's a balance in there somewhere between you know, hitting people's expectations at the same time trying to make it a real experience because, you know, while Flamedo, when you experience it, definitely bypasses logic and consciousness and just, you know, hits your soul. During the course of this project, how did it affect your art and in your relationship to nature? Well, I think quite dramatically, really. As I say, I mean, coming from... You know, I had a studio in London. That's where I was doing the portraits. The reason I, I started the first garden book is is I was going stir crazy in the in the city. Wildflowers, the Queen had a completely different effect. Nature at its, at its rawest. And you see these courageous, brave plants surviving where they're allowed to. I mean, for instance, Parkgate Down again in, in Kent had, I think, you know, what was my probably favourite flower called the monkey orchid, which I'd imagine was, you know, in the tropics or Thailand up to 1952 uh, they believed it to be extinct it hasn't been a long time and they found this one little colony uh, down there a local smallholder they found it and he gifted the land as a nature reserve to protect it and they managed to grow a second colony which is you have a strong green stem and then probably 30 to 40 and these bright pink mauve breeze monkeys with their tails flying in the winds all, all hanging down the stem. So it's a tremendous sight, but they definitely need protection. And the way charity works in this country is, is you definitely want to try and get some rich support. I think, you know, saving the planet is a good thing to do, but that that's definitely not why people are doing it in this case, I'd say. Plant life they're very botanically minded, much probably more so than most other charities within conservation. So they're, they're quite specialist in that way, but that's in a way why they need broad support. It's really the charity that is, is gained from this book. Profits for, for any sales go, go back to the charity. So I really hope, well, I know it has done some good, uh, has raised some awareness. Uh, you know, it's interesting to, to think of the power of nature and what we've lost from those early descriptions of a of a bucolic life when we were more in harmony in nature and people had more opportunity to spend time in it. Going forward, as a, as a photographer, yeah, I definitely feel more connected to the natural world. I'll be shocked if I don't do another you know, quite similar project. I'm still working out uh, the details. They have over 90 wildflower meadows now planted by the local school children but it's in the centre of London. It's, in a way, quite a subversive act <laughs> to bring nature back into the centre of the of the big city. It's called Green Green Park. It looks over Buckingham Palace. 
It's called the Queen's Meadow, planted on her 90th birthday. I think it's you know, very symbolic that it was planted by the local school children who now look at it as part of their heritage and part of their education. So, you know, I just think it's, it's an important battle to continue. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Hugo Ritson Thomas and that you get a chance to see the beautiful wildflowers and meadows that are featured in his book, Wildflowers for the Queen. If you enjoyed my conversation with Hugo, please share with friends, family, and colleagues and subscribe to Nature Revisited on your favorite podcast server. You can follow Nature Revisited on Instagram, YouTube, or our website, nordenproductions.com. That's Norden, N-O-O-R-D-E-N, productions.com. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Norden and Charles Gagan. And I hope you will join us for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, do remember, we are nature. Nature.